0: You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. My name is Susan. I have the privilege of serving on the communion team and as a community group leader with my husband, Keith. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses one through 16 from the NIV. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, They expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend.
1: Thank you, Susan. We are going through the parables in a series called The Stories of Jesus. Why? Because these short stories give us vital insights into the kingdom of God, the world in which we live, and our very own hearts. And today we come to a very, very important subject, one in which takes place constantly in our hearts And that is the subject of comparison. Does comparison belong in the kingdom of God? Let's pray together and let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are aware of all that goes on in our lives. You care. And because you care, you convict us of things that ought not to be in our hearts. We pray today that you would reveal and remove any sinful attitudes of the heart or the way that we view you and others that is not in line in your kingdom. And we pray that you would transform us, that we might reflect your grace and your love to those around us. And for those who do not yet know you, we pray that they would come to know you even today. Holy Spirit, will you speak to every one of us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Comparison is the thief of joy. That is a statement commonly attributed to Theodore Roosevelt, and you'll find it quoted all over the place from articles online, all the way to social media indicating that comparison is a problem for everyone. I mean, think about it. We all compare in one way, shape, or, or form. Many of us, we compare what we do for work, how far along other people are in their career compared to where we are at in our own line of work. Maybe we compare money well, look at how much they make compared to what I make. Like, how is it that they're getting so much? Or perhaps we might even compare our appearance, the way that we look, how we appear. I mean, so many marketing strategies are based on the human tendency to, to compare, and they make tons of money because of it. Well, I want to look more like this or, or, or less like that. We even compare life stage. All the people who are single are like, how come those married people have companionship? And then the married people are like, how come the single people have so much time? Like, what do you even do? And and then, you know, their kids are not like my kids. And why is it this way and that way? And friends, comparison even happens in the church. Well, why do they get that spiritual gift? How come she has this like prophetic gift? And you know what I was given? The gift of help's. Oh, don't worry, community group. I'll make sure the lasagna and the cutlery is there. Why, well, you blow people's minds with spiritual insight. Why does he have that role? How come they have so much influence in the kingdom of God? I mean, friends, let's be honest. To one degree or another, we all have OCD, that is, obsessive comparison disorder. <laughs> And it can lead to losing sleep, overworking in your job, spending money you don't have, fighting with your friends, your coworkers, and even your brothers and sisters in the church. For us, as Reality Ventura, unhealthy comparison will actually keep us from experiencing the peace of God and the unity of the church. And though many people, when they talk about this issue of comparison, it's addressed as a social problem, Jesus goes deeper and addresses it as a spiritual problem. Because ultimately, this toxic comparison stems from how we view God and whether or not we think he is fair Now, the stories of Jesus are called parables. And as we've said over the last few weeks, parables are like a window. They don't tell you everything that you need to know about the kingdom of God, but like a window. You don't see the whole horizon. You see a specific piece of that horizon. Parables are also like a mirror. They reflect our lives back to ourselves. We learn things about our own lives and what's going on in our own hearts. And parables are like a door, an open door, calling us and inviting us to respond and to follow Jesus in action. And this story is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And upon first glance, it's very straightforward. These workers, all of them, were in that society at the bottom of the economic ladder. A denarius would be considered good compensation for a worker to provide for their family in that ancient world. And so Jesus sets the scene. Verse one to seven again. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again, and about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard straightforward enough, until there is a disagreement about who gets paid what by the landowner. And this story reveals the issue of comparison amongst people and raises a question about God's fairness. Jesus is using us to teach us how the kingdom of God works and how the human heart works. And if we listen, we can learn three things. Where comparison starts. Secondly, what comparison steals. And thirdly, how comparison stops. So the first lesson is where comparison starts. Notice the first set of workers, they agree to work for a denarius. Then the other workers come and receive the same wage. Here's what happens, verse 8 through 10. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, They expected to receive more. Dramatic pause. But each one of them also received a denarius. I pause on that phrase because it's a key moment in this story, because we're given insight into the inner dialogue of the first set of workers. And what were they thinking? They thought that they would receive more. And so they begin to compare. Where does comparison start? It begins with calculation. We start doing the math. We start going, wait, they get that, but I only get this, something is not right here. They start adding things up according to their own principles, according to their own understanding, and they feel entitled to more than what the others received. This is important that we're given a glimpse into this inner dialogue of the hearts of this first set of workers because in many ways it reveals the inner dialogue that goes on in our own minds and in our own hearts when it comes to this issue of comparison and where it starts. See, we all have an assumption of how it should all go and how it should all be done for the people who come late. And this leads to expectations. We start doing the math. Well, wait a minute. If they got that, For a little bit of work, I should be getting more. And this happens in the church all the time. See, calculation leads to expectation. And ultimately, it reveals an attitude of entitlement. An attitude that says, I've been around longer, and therefore, I deserve more. Now think about how this happens in the life of a Christian, particularly within the church. Maybe some of you have been a Christian for many years, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you have a certain set of gifts, and you've had a certain amount of experience within the church, and then comes along a brand new Christian, and you've seen it happen, Maybe within a year, all of a sudden, God starts using them in a wonderful way. They might even have more gifts than you do. They might have even been given more opportunities than you did in that stage of life. And all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, hang on. I have been serving in God's kingdom for 20 plus years and this newbie comes along and God's just using them to transform the kingdom. That is not right. Or why is she getting this particular role? Have I not served in Reality Ventura since its inception? How come she's getting this role? Or why is he having this kind of influence? Or think about salvation in general. Every Christian knows in the beginning you just rejoice because you've you've done nothing to deserve your salvation. You're like, I've done nothing to deserve this. I'm just excited and thrilled to be a Christian. But as time goes on, you begin to forget that oftentimes and then you think you're somehow entitled to it. Now imagine getting to heaven, whether you breathe your last or Jesus returns and you're in glory and there's Saint Peter and the angels welcoming people in. And you're going in, you're thinking about, what mansion am I going to get in glory? How many mansions are there going to be? And there's this Christian that's only been a Christian for like a year. And they're like, enter the glory of your Lord. I've prepared a place for you. And you're like, wait a minute. We get the same thing? Do you know all the sacrifices I made? Living life in the kingdom of God. I lived in California for crying out loud, do you know what it's like to hold the line in California? I want four mansions. But friends, what about, imagine for a moment the thief on the cross, saved in a moment because he trusted in Jesus, and he gets to enter into glory. The temptation for some to think, wait a minute, shouldn't I get More. Bear in mind, this is a parable about how the kingdom of God works. And this unhealthy comparison, it starts with calculation. It leads to expectation, which comes from an attitude of entitlement. And then that becomes a competition with other people. They should not have gotten what I did. It's interesting to me that if you read the context leading up to this parable, you'll find that Jesus had just spoken with a young, rich ruler. His story is famous to many Christians. This young rich ruler came up to Jesus and asked him about, you know, entering the kingdom of God and he went away from Jesus sad. Why? Because Jesus was telling him you have to seek God and put him before all of your possessions. But this young man was very wealthy. He did not want to give up what he had and so he walked away sad. Now, you would think that that would be a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you were around on that day when this whole exchange happens between Jesus and the rich young ruler, you would think it would be a profound moment for reflection and teaching. But then there's Peter. And Peter's the guy, I heard one pastor say, Peter must have had cinnamon socks because his foot was always in his mouth. I'm like, that scans. So there's Peter. The rich young ruler walks away. He wasn't willing to give up his riches. And you know what Peter says? Hey, Jesus, we've given up everything. (laughs) Literally, that's what it says in the text. Peter's like, oh, that's sad. He walked away. Hey, Jesus, guess who did give up everything? That's right, Peter. (laughs) Right here, Jesus. Hey, who gives up sacrifices like nobody else? Peter, I'm right here. Aren't you glad I'm in your kingdom? Peter seems to immediately compare himself with that man. Now, of course, Jesus responds in love and grace and affirms the importance of putting him first, but also gives a warning to Peter, lest anyone start to take pride in their humility. See, Christians can sometimes even compare the amount they sacrifice, right? We like to become lowercase m martyrs. Not capital M martyrs, but lowercase for sure. Like, do you know how much I've sacrificed? Like in a community group, someone's like, oh yeah, man, we just gave up a lot to follow Christ. You're like, wow, that's great. You know, for the last 20 years, you know what? I've given up to follow Christ? And then somebody else in the group, wow, I've sacrificed a ton. It's like, really? Why are we doing this? Why do we feel the need to do this? Now, that won't be the last time Peter compares himself to someone else, but we'll get there in a little bit. But here's the danger. We begin to calculate. We think we're entitled And therefore, we begin to compare ourselves to other people out of our entitlement. And so the question for you and the question for me, and you need to be honest with God and you need to be honest with yourself, where are you tempted to be entitled? In what area right now are you tempted to compare yourself in a wrongful way? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. We all want to experience healing in this area. But if we're going to experience that healing, it begins with confession. And being honest to God. God, I feel really entitled in this area. I've noticed that I'm constantly comparing myself with these people for those reasons. Be honest about where comparison starts in your heart. And here's why it's so important that you do, because secondly, we learn what comparison steals. Where does it start? Comparison starts with calculation in the heart. We have expectations, we feel entitled. But you also need to know what comparison steals. You need to know the effect that it has. Because notice in this story that calculation turns to complaint. Verse 11 to 12, when the first workers received it, they began to what? Grumble against the landowner. These were those who were hired, uh, these who were hired last, worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And here, friends, we begin to see How comparison is a thief. And it steals three things. First of all, this kind of comparison steals gratitude from your heart. It steals gratitude from your heart. The workers only counted the cost, but they forgot the privilege they had in the first place. Do you remember that detail about what all these people were doing? It says in the story, they were all walking around the marketplace doing nothing, which is a picture of all of humanity separated from God because of sin. We have no right to work in God's field. We are owed nothing, but what is right And due to our own sin, we are, as it were, walking around the marketplace of this world doing nothing. And yet the landowner comes and says, offers an opportunity and provides generously a payment. But instead of being grateful for what they had, they grumbled because of what they didn't have. Now here's what's interesting. If you look up the word grumble... Here's what it means. Those who secretly confer to grumble together. There's like a community element there. Because we all know that when you complain, you love to find others who will complain with you. Right? Start your Facebook group. This new group is called, what is it? Those who secretly confer to grumble together group. Because you're like, hey, isn't it annoying? Those people in the church, they just have all those blessings. You're like, oh my gosh, totally. Isn't that, oh, they're the word? Yes, let's secretly confer to grumble together. It makes you feel better. It makes you feel justified in your complaint if you can, if you can find community around it. Or perhaps more subtly, it's the little things you say underneath your breath in a very low tone. Like, oh, huh, wow, that's a surprise. They got chosen for that position. I mean, Right, that's obvious to everyone. Oh, wow, you got saved. Wow, you're in the kingdom now. You can just come right on in. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? Amazing grace, as they say. (laughs) This problem rarely remains with the individual. It spreads like cancer. We want sympathy and validation and concern for our situation but we don't think about others. See, some of us may remember a period of time where you served in the church with just sheer joy and gratitude. Some of you are like, yeah, that was a long time ago. (laughs) You're like just thrilled to even have an opportunity. And then over time, your love grows a little cold, perhaps because of comparison well, I served the Lord and, you know, life got harder. This person, they served Jesus for like two minutes and they get like a million blessings. like, I don't get it. And it turns into a complaint. Comparison steals gratitude from our hearts. But comparison is also a thief in that it steals good from other people. It keeps you from blessing them. So it steals gratitude from our hearts and it steals good from others. We don't acknowledge the blessings that God has given to others when we're living in this comparison game. We might even be tempted to withhold good from them. We might even go so far as to point out fault within them. And so what begins to happen when we allow this comparison to exist in our hearts and within the kingdom of God is we substitute a relationship with God for a job of judging other people's blessings. You become like a chief blessing officer. You're like, oh yeah, no, that's grossly inappropriate for your level of like maturity and whatever. You should not have that blessing. We're not focused on what we get from God. We're critiquing the blessings that other people have. And therefore we don't have compassion for others. Instead of loving them in the way that God desires, we're focused on ourselves. But this thievery goes deeper still. It steals gratitude from our heart, good from others, but most importantly, this kind of comparison steals glory from God. It steals glory from God. Because we determine by our own values what is right in an attempt to bring God down to our level. And instead of thanking him for what he has given to us, we accuse him for what he's given to others. And so instead of reflecting him, we begin to resent him. See, this is why in the Bible, complaining and grumbling is condemned all over the place because it keeps us from acknowledging God's blessings. And it all comes from pride. See. This thief called comparison has an employer and it's called pride. It's that attitude of entitlement. And it results in bitterness, strife, jealousy, envy, covetousness. In many ways, one of the reasons why we're obsessed with comparing ourselves to other people is because that's how we determine our worth. If I have more in this culture than someone else, I'm worth more. In whatever area, it could be appearance, it could be money, I don't care what it is. We all do it in one way, shape, or form. And if we have more, we feel worth more. But if we have less, we feel worth less. That's why it stings. We're getting our our sense of value and dignity from this, and that's why it's such a, such a game, and the devil would love for us to play off of one another. When, when, when you've got all the blessings, you're like, wow, I'm just, I'm just blessed, and oh God, I thank you I'm not like that person who's just struggling all the time. Like, what a miserable existence, you know? Or, on the flip side, you see other people who have more, and you're like, why well, must be worthless. It's horrible. But the problem is when we are comparing ourselves with others in the kingdom of God, you are assuming that they are supposed to be a better or worse version of you, when in fact they are not. All of us were created by God and for God. He has a very unique plan for every single one of you. And so he gifts you according to his good will. When you read about the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, they're not given to us in equal measure, like you get prophecy and you get prophecy and you get prophecy and you get prophecy. They're given according, we're told, to the will of God. God is in charge. He has a strategy and he blesses us in accordance with his will. Sadly, we're all looking around when we should be looking up. We should be looking at him. Our gaze should be fixed upon him, and we should be asking him, God, what is it that you want for me, and what is it that you're calling me to do instead of comparing ourselves with what others have and what what others are called to do? This happened amongst the disciples all the time. Yes, particularly with Peter. One of my favorite stories in the gospel according to John is that moment where the resurrected Jesus has breakfast by the sea. Isn't that just, just think about it, just pause. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is risen. What do you want to do, Jesus? Let's get breakfast by the water. You're like, love it. I'm here for it. And it's all the more beautiful because it's that moment when Peter, who had famously denied Jesus before the cross, is then restored by Jesus. It's beautiful. And as the disciples are there and Jesus is reminding them of the mission, he begins to speak to Peter about his mission, what he's called to do, and how he's gonna have to endure suffering. And in classic Peter fashion, you know what he does? In John 21, verse 21, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, but what about him? What about this man? Speaking of John. And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's sit with this for a moment. Peter had just been restored and forgiven for his denial of Jesus Christ and told that he's going to be commissioned. He's going to be a leader in the church, and he's going to have to endure suffering. But instead of expressing gratitude for the gracious way in which he had been restored or even asking how he might be fruitful in it, he immediately asks about someone else. What about John? You didn't say the same thing to John. Tell John he's gonna suffer. I want John, you need to suffer. (laughs) It might be that Peter wanted to compare callings. Maybe he wanted to compare the amount of suffering they would endure. In any case, Jesus saw it necessary to correct Peter. And the way that Jesus corrected Peter in his comparison game is the same way that Jesus corrects you and me. He he corrects us by drawing our attention back to himself. Jesus says, what if I want John to live forever? What if I wanted him to fly? What is that to you? You follow Me. We've been looking around and we compare, and Jesus says we need to look up. Peter's question captures our tendency to compare, and when we do, it steals gratitude from our hearts, good from other people, and glory from God. That leads to the last thing how does it stop? Where does comparison start? It starts with calculation according to human standards. What does it steal? It steals gratitude from our hearts, good from others, and glory from God. But how does it stop? Well, we get our answer in the response of the landlord and how his motivation and decisions reflect the very heart of God and his kingdom. And so the landlord finally answers in verse 13 to 16. But he answered one of them, "'I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, bear in mind this is a parable, it's not teaching you how to run your business. FYI, but Jesus is teaching us something absolutely vital about the kingdom of God. The transformative insight comes from this landowner. And from his response, we learn several things about how God works and how it stops comparison in our heart. And the first truth is this: God is the rightful ruler over everything. In this parable, the the landowner did no wrong. The landowner had every right if the workers agreed. Remember, all the workers of their own agency and volition, they agreed to the landowner's terms. But the landowner had every right to do whatever he wanted with his own land. And on the question of fairness, the landowner gave them exactly what he said he would give them as he stated and as he had the right to do. Friends, you and I, we are not the rulers of the world. And some of us might need to be reminded of that this morning. (laughs) Because we often act as if, like, I rule and reign. God's like, no, you don't. God is our creator. We are creation. He is not accountable to us. We are accountable to him. He is the rightful ruler over everything. But how does he give? Well, this is radically different than how the world operates. He is the rightful ruler over everything, including our own lives. And how does he give? He gives according to his generosity and grace, not according to our works. God gives according to his generosity, not our works. The workers in the parable, they were never entitled to the work in the first place. They were wandering around the marketplace doing nothing. And the landowner went out and sought them out. The workers forgot this in their own calculation. At the beginning of the day, no one had money to put food on the table, and yet... Because the landowner pursued them, they got the job and they got paid. The landowner did no wrong. On the question of fairness, he gave them exactly as he said he would. But here's the deal, and this is the scandal of the parable. It's not that the landowner didn't give them what he said they would, it's that the landowner went above and beyond so that everyone, even the latecomers, would be blessed. The goodness of the landlord saw to it that everyone was blessed. And so in the parable, the owner says, I want to give them the denarius. And so I'll give a slightly controversial answer to a very common question. Is God fair? Well, on the one hand... Yes, of course, he's righteous, and he's just, and he's holy. But on the other hand, the way God deals with us is by grace, which by definition is not fair. You know what fair would be? Fair would be leaving you and I to our sin and all of its effects and its consequences. That would be fair. Right? Are you guys with me? That would be fair. But God does not deal with us according to what we deserve. He deals with us according to his grace, giving us what we don't deserve. He deals with us according to grace. All the promises of the Old Testament, he will not deal with us according to our sin. This shows how determined God is to provide for and to bless people, not on the basis of our worthiness, but on the basis of his goodness. He owns the land, and yet he's going out to find all these people that he can bless whoever says Yes, and what he gives is radically generous. Your salvation is an undeserved gift. Your spiritual gifts and abilities, undeserved gift. Your influence in the kingdom of God, the the particular blessings that he gives you in life, they all come from the generous, gracious hand of God. This should kill off entitlement in all of our hearts. Now, some of you are like, okay, I understand his gifts are given to me, my grace, but do they come with a gift receipt? Because I'd like to do it in exchange. Doesn't work like that. God blesses you and gifts you for reasons that may be obscured to you now. But brother or sister, let me tell you that when you are in heaven and you see things then as God sees things now, you will applaud him for his wisdom. Oh, Lord, you only gave me this thing and you put me in that position and, and you placed us in that town and that house with those people and at the time I didn't like it. But now from the perspective of glory, You work all, you do everything right. Do you know the Bible says we're gonna get to the end and and we're gonna say, God, you did everything right. (laughs) It may not seem that way to you now, but friends, we serve a good, infinite God. And he deals with us according to his grace and his infinite wisdom. And this should kill off that envy and that jealousy that we have towards others or that resentful attitude of the heart towards God. You know, it's interesting in verse 15, when the landlord says to the workers, do you have an envious, or are you envious? The King James, the old King James version, literally says, or is your eye evil? Oh, that's sharp. Or is your eye evil? Jesus is calling it out. This, this sinful comparison is evil, and it does not operate according to the kingdom of God. We are to be careful when it comes to being angry for the blessings that God has given to others because we forget the very basis of our own salvation, which is grace and nothing but grace. So let me give you four brief ways that you can kill comparison in your life. They're easier said than done. The first, as we learn from this parable about the character of God and his kingdom, first, affirm the good that God has given to others. When you're tempted to envy or to be jealous of someone or compare yourself to other people, affirm the good that God has given to them. And here's a fun one. Secondly, immediately pray that God would bless them more. Oh. Hey, just try it today. When you're going to compare yourself or you're envy or you're your, your jealous, just try praying that God would bless them even more and you'll discover how hard it really is. Oh, you've got that. Wow, that's amazing. So good. <laughs> oh, Lord, I just want to pray you'd give them a half of a double portion more. I mean, a, a double portion. Yes, that, that's right. A double portion. And then third, support them if you're able. How, how can I help? Can I be a blessing to you? And fourth, gladly take the lesser place to do so. Gladly. I will lower myself. I love seeing within the church body saints who have been walking with Jesus for decade after decade, and I just see a willingness for them to do anything for the kingdom of God. For someone who's a brand new Christian or a, or a seasoned saint or, or just any task that they're, they're asked to do as long as they're gifted and able to do it, I love that attitude of humility because in it I see Christ. Because along with those four practices, or I should say rather, underneath it all, what motivates you and what ultimately kills off comparison is seeing Jesus himself, who he is and all that he has done for you. Because everything we have is an undeserved gift. If that's your attitude, if you understand everything you have is an undeserved gift, it will kill off comparison in your life. And what strikes me about this parable is that the way the landlord speaks to ungrateful workers is mind-blowing. Did you notice that when the workers were complaining against the landlord, what did the landlord call them? Friend. The landlord calls the ungrateful workers friend. If that's not grace, I don't know what is. But it's a picture of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the ultimate landowner, with all the riches and the right to rule and reign, comes down to ungrateful people like us who are wandering around in the marketplace of this world doing nothing, calling us friend. And he himself lowered himself and made himself a servant of all. And he was rejected and treated as a criminal, crucified on a cross for my sin and for your sin to take on the penalty that we deserve so that we would be richly provided for from here to eternity. When you look at the cross, you not only see that God is just, but more than that, that he is merciful, he is gracious, He is loving. You have not received what you deserve. And today we should celebrate that. Instead, we have received grace. So instead of despising it, let us receive and rejoice in it. And when we see Jesus doing that for us, it makes us say, I want to reflect him to this world. I want to reflect him to this world. Because Jesus, who was ultimately first, made himself last so that you could enter in to his kingdom. So the way that you kill off comparison in your heart is by putting Jesus, the servant of all and the king of kings, first in your heart, knowing that he deals with you according to his goodness and grace. And it changes everything when you're wrestling with envy and comparison, it changes your questions from, why did you save those people? To, why do you save anyone at all? It changes the question from, why did you give that to them? To, why have you given us anything at all? And the answer is always, grace, grace, grace. You are saved by grace. You will be sanctified by grace and you will be glorified by grace. So he invites you as friend to receive from him, to be forgiven and set free from comparison. And that can start now. Let's pray together. Father, your Holy Spirit is the one who shines the light on these areas of envy and jealousy and bitterness and comparison. Not to condemn us, but to free us. And so I pray that you would shine your light on those areas we need to bring to you and to confess to you so that we might be forgiven, set free, and made whole. And even now, as we have the opportunity to receive communion and to pray and to respond in song, I do pray that we would be set free. Not looking around, playing the comparison game, but looking up, rejoicing in you and receiving from you. And for anyone who has not yet put their faith in Jesus for salvation, I pray that they would do so today. That they would say from their heart, Jesus, save me. I deserve nothing of your kingdom. Forgive me and save me as my Lord and Savior. I pray that people would believe today and experience your salvation. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you to move in our hearts now.